Welcome to the New Ventures podcast. Our guest for today is Kevin Hill. Kevin founded Venture Timberwork, which has been doing construction projects since 1995 using sustainably sourced timber. He has also founded Double Helix, which helps businesses understand where their wood comes from. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you, Sanjoy. It's a pleasure to, um, to speak to you today. Thank you. Kevin, you have done projects for hotels and resorts in some of the most exotic locations in the world. Please tell us a little bit about these projects. Yes, we're a business that uh, does shell and core projects, uh, particularly for the hospitality sector um, across various, re various regions and countries. We also are a business that build uh, locally in Singapore, uh, here we build more commercial and uh, multi-story type buildings, so it's a different typology. The projects that we've done uh, overseas, typically resort-style projects. Um, we've built in St. Bart's in the Caribbean. Uh, we've built in, uh, in Maldives, St. Regis, uh, recently the Ritz uh, Hotel. Many years ago, we were involved in uh, uh, projects uh, or brands like Kersner's uh, One and Only. So quite a few, uh, quite a few projects in the hospitality sector uh, over the years. And, uh, and at the moment, uh, very focused on markets and destinations like uh, the Red Sea projects uh, in Saudi and new opportunities coming up in other various uh, sectors around the uh, hospitality market. Thank you. Just listening uh, to those exotic locations uh, while being stuck at home and pandemic itself is very interesting. The pandemic, has, of course, has been terrible for the hospitality industry. How have you managed uh, through these times? And, uh, and how do you look at the sales pipeline now? Well, that's true. Yes. Uh, one has to remember that in the construction sector, it, there's a very long process from the concept of the, the design through to the, of course, the design process and the build process itself. I mean, it, from, from when we first uh, get contacted, if you like, for a particular project opportunity, uh, sometimes it can take two years uh, until that project is delivered. Fortunately, uh, we had a number of projects which were well underway during the time of the, uh, the pandemic. In fact, you know, we finished these projects and handed them over during this, this time, which, um, was, which was, of course, there was disruption, but uh, we're fortunate that we have uh, an extended team uh, in different locations, which enables us to minimize travel, if you like. So work in progress, of course, has, has helped us quite considerably over this period. In Singapore, we're building five fairly large buildings for national parks, uh, at the new Jurong Lake development. In Singapore, we handed over the 100 villas that we built uh, at the Ritz, and we handed over a really interesting project by the artist James Terrell. It's uh, James Terrell Skyspace, uh, and it's also in Maldives in the Fairy Islands um, at the Patina Hotel. So, so that obviously helped us tremendously, but what we have seen is a lot of opportunities essentially stop. So all of those sort of early, early projects, the ones that are in concept, concept plus, early design and development have been very slow. Some of them have been stopped altogether. 
and haven't restarted yet. Some of them have, have, have sort of moved very slowly. So, you know, th th there will be an effect. It will be a knock-on effect for us later than, you know, the hospitality industry itself, uh, which is, of course, earning revenue as people come and visit their properties. But, you know, for fortunately, we do, see, we do see a recovery of sorts. I think a lot of developers now are sort of repositioning their assets. The market's changed. People want a different experience from travel. They don't necessarily want to, you know, be in the middle of an urban metropolis. They prefer, if you like, seclusion, uh, the safety that comes with seclusion, you know, Maldivian-type resort destinations, uh, those uh, resort uh, remote destinations in, in many other markets. So we are seeing that the brands are, are repositioning uh, their offering. I think that there is confidence that's coming back in the market now. Um, you know, we're seeing opening up in, in many markets. Of course, there's still a long, a long way to go. As vaccination rates rise and people start to live with the pandemic, then, you know, obviously there's going to be at some point, a huge surge in demand uh, as people who've been trapped uh, in their offices, in their houses for the last two years uh, are going to want to fly the coop and, and go somewhere nice. So we're definitely seeing a lot of opportunities from that. And there's, there's other reasons there as well, which, which we can come on to later um, that are linked to sustainability and the different expectation of, of the public. Well, I definitely want to fly out to somewhere nice, but you've already started talking about the projects in Singapore, and that was going to be my next question. You have you know, done iconic projects in Singapore, such as the zoo. Please tell us a little bit about your Singapore projects. Yes, our first project here was actually in the National Parks uh, headquarters back in 95. Um, I came here a couple of years before as a backpacker uh, and uh, for a few days and... Uh, Ended up uh, in Singapore for 30, 30 plus years. So obviously, um, it's a country that I've, I've grown to, to love and, uh, and, and enjoy living. So in the, you know, in the early days, uh, I was a project manager working for a contractor here. And then I had the opportunity to set up uh, my own business in this space. Uh, Botanic Gardens was one of the first projects that we did, the visitor center. Uh, we did other various projects mainly uh, sort of external decking type projects or external timber work type of projects. We're not a, com a company that, that does, typically does fit out. So some of those early projects included various boardwalks, the National Park, uh, the Henderson Waves Bridge. That was one of our projects. Um, we were behind the, the Sky Park. Um, we did actually for the Sky Park, the Marina Bay Sands Sky Park, we did all the landscaping there and all the decking and all the glass and glazing work, uh, Resorts World Singapore. Um, and then in, in 2015, we, we pivoted. Uh, Singapore changed their laws to allow the use of timber uh, as element of structure. So because of that, it enabled us to move into that space. So fortunately, we didn't have to pioneer or sell the government on the benefits of building with mass timber. They already identified it as a productive technology and a sustainable technology that they wanted to adopt. Uh, a lot of groundwork was done, uh, and uh, we managed to move into that space quite quickly. I mean, our, our background was about panelization. Uh, you know, in 2013, we did a massive job in Kuwait, about 50,000 square meters 
of, of surfaces for um, a, a police academy. We later uh, in Kuwait did a, a petroleum college. So, you know, we pivoted towards uh, mass timber. Uh, and, uh, and from then on, we've, we've, we've been fortunate to do some, some nice projects here. We built the first army barracks in the world, actually, which was done through the Singapore Defence Science and Technology Agency, the, the DSTA. We did a nice building for JTC, one of the early uh, mass timber buildings here, uh, three-storey building for JTC. Did a very nice industrial building in the west, in Tuas. Uh, for a construction company here, um, Woha. Um, a, a nice vertical extension on uh, Sustainability Academy. Um, so, you know, we've done very logical projects. The project we're doing now uh, is a project for National Park. It's, it's quite nice because we did the Botanic Gardens project for National Parks, and then 25 years later, we're now doing another, you know, large buildings, a lot larger overall project, of course, but building it in a completely different way, of course, using uh, modern technologies, including, you know, the latest uh, iterations of BIM, using uh, certain uh, virtual construction tools, uh, and obviously producing things in, in effect with uh, woodworking robots in, in Austria and uh, in Finland and, and bringing those products to Singapore and building in very a productive uh, way. So it's been, Singapore's been an interesting journey. And Singapore's very interesting because for us, it's a, it's a fairly small market. The ideas happen here quickly and you can execute things very quickly. And if they succeed here, then you can package those offerings, if you like, and do them in other countries, which is exactly what we've done. Wonderful. So you have obviously done projects of various types. But, you know, uh, obviously a lot of that them have been in the tourism and the recreational sector. So my question is, from a construction perspective, what is it that makes timber an useful building material for the tourism and recreation buildings? I think first and foremost, it's a beautiful material. There's no other material that I think that can evoke the same emotion. You know, when you walk into one of these into one of these buildings. The experience is, it's not like any other experience that you have in any other type of building, whether it's, you know, concrete or steel or some other material. Wood, wood has this very, I think the very special connection, if you like, uh, with humanity. And I think when you're talking about tourism, uh, you, you really are talking about experiences. You know, people come here for an experience and, and that experience, I, I think, is, is very well represented with a wooden building. That, I think, would be front and center. Of course, secondly, um, the sustainability element, if you like, is a, it, it's, a, it's a very low impact way of building. You can build in very sensitive areas, like if you were building, for instance, now we're building in the Jurong Lake vicinity uh, for National Park. You know, there's a quarter of the amount of transport involved in bringing these materials to the site. So that's a, a massive reduction in the disruption of the existing park. Uh, they're much lighter to install more predictable uh, outcomes and you know, lighter buildings are a lot, a lot safer. I think they work very well uh, with tourism. First and foremost, I think it's the, the feeling and beauty of wood that, that really uh, is, the, is the most compelling um, proposition. The feeling of beauty is obviously very important, but just to sort of put myself in the shoes of 
the CFO of one of your clients, you know, what is the business benefit of using construction, using timber? I think, yeah, I, I mean, as far as the business perspective is concerned, it's, if we look at the hospitality sector, it's always about being on the, the edge of what's new, uh, what's special, you know? And I think wood can deliver that. There's many, it's a very versatile, if we're talking about engineered timber, it's a very versatile product in terms of what it can deliver. Our Terrell Sky Space in the Faroe Islands, uh, it's a 400 square meter roof. It has three millimeter razor edges to it. It has a 16 meter square hole, again with razor edges, and it's supported. The only visible support is an external trellis. So that was possible with engineered timber. I mean, we, we were looking at composite technologies and other technologies for the client. Uh, and timber was the best solution, predictable, because we can work within existing codes. And, you know, when we're talking about building different assets for businesses, predictability is very important. Of course, there's a new component now. I mean, product, productivity uh, is a very important factor when we certainly when we we're looking at building um, in this part of the world. It's, it, it's very important. Uh, and now with the big labor squeeze that we're seeing in lots of markets, the inability to move people around as easily as possible, and there's never been a more um, valuable attribute uh, than productivity on site. When we start moving a lot of the processes into the factory, of course, it, it makes a very compelling solution because then on site, where you have a lot more variables, it's a lot more limited. There's less chance for things to go wrong because we're doing as much as we can in the factory environment. So, you know, timber is one of these off-site technologies. In my opinion, it's the best in terms of what it does. It doesn't do everything. In terms of what it does, it's the best. Um, so I think, I think that's, that's very important. And, and, you know, the other thing in terms of its versatility, we, we, we've just developed a product uh, it's called Nautilus Water Suites, uh, and it leverages the lightness of cross-laminated timber, which is a large format uh, building product panel. Um, it leverages the lightness of that, and we can actually deliver a hotel suite on a floating powered craft, which is, you know, it's created a new genre, you know, and, and we can build these with a quarter of the carbon that you would need to build a two-bedroom home. So I think there's very few structural building materials that have this depth of versatility. Uh, and I think that is very important for business. Versatility and productivity. Uh, those are obviously two very important things. But you've also you know, started to the point uh, that timber is sustainable. Now, one of the things, obviously, uh, to make claim timber is sustainable, you'll have to be sure where it comes in that context. Can you help our audience understand how certifications such as PEFC work? Yeah, sure. I, th I think, you know, certification is one aspect. Uh, in my opinion, this might be a bit controversial, but I think all the stakeholders around timber, from producers uh, through to resellers, through to builders, everybody involved in, in around the whole timber industry, I think, haven't done a very good job in terms of the narrative behind timber. There seems to be sort of resting on laurels, you know, oh, uh, it's wood, it's sustainable, thank you very much. 
you know, and honestly, I, I, I feel quite strongly about this, but I, I think that that just isn't good enough. In an era now of fake news and, and all sorts of labels that people don't trust anymore, I, I think there's never been a more important time to really demonstrate transparency in timber supply chain. So I would say that before I even mention the word certification. Now, there's another really important aspect, I think, around this whole topic, and that is about third-party audit. Somebody else who is registered and, and, and qualified and certified to give an opinion about somebody else's product. You know, there's plenty of organizations out there that self-declare their own, you know, Values, you know, companies like IKEA, for instance, you know, they, they will they will stand out and say, we do this and we do that, environmental this and environmental that. But I don't see the third party audit. You know, I don't see other people saying IKEA does this and IKEA does that. So I think the first of all is very important that whatever claims are being made uh, must be validated, and they must be validated not on opinions but on hard data. And hard data comes from a proper audit process. Now, certification is just one part of that audit process. Certification means the product came from here, and this forest was managed in such a way that is either sustainable or well-managed or plantation or whatever it is. That's where the certification and forest certification has its role, whether it's the PEFC, or if it's FSC or it's another certification body. The audit process itself is, of course, then critical. It's critical to then prove that the product that is ended up in a building or ended up in another product that's, in the that's either the consumer is in or visiting or is in their hands, there's proof that that product came from that certified source. And you will be surprised, or maybe not surprised, how much of these products that come from certified source have no independent audit at all? People can just point to the forest and say, yeah, it came from there. It's great. It's fine. So I think that's really important because I think there's a really powerful environmental narrative and, and story behind wood. It's a cop out for us not to drill down into that, into the most amount of detail. So that's something I, I, I feel very uh, passionate about. So in a nutshell, you have a certification scheme in the forest. You have an audit party that is basically checking everything from when the forest, when that product left the forest all the way through the chain, what we call the chain of custody. Every time it passes through a factory, it gets on a ship, it lands at an import yard, it goes to a builder, from a builder to a fabricator, from a fabricator to the site, and then it gets installed. That final installed product needs to have a link all the way through to the forest. That is the, the crucial sort of crux of, of certification and verification of product. And it seems to me that your, your own company provides some of these services, Double Helix. So could you tell us a little bit more about what type of services does Double Helix provide? Okay, so I, I just, you know, I happen to be the founder of, of Double Helix Tracking Technologies. I am a shareholder. There are several other shareholders. But this, the company was essentially founded out of work that we did 
uh, many years ago, actually, for the zoo, where the zoo started asking questions. Bernard Harrison, actually, the CEO at the time, was asking questions about where materials came from. They want to use wood because it's a natural product to use within that environment, but they want to make sure that they're using wood that's not you know, causing destruction to the very animals that they're showcasing, if you like. So that was a very important, and at the time, I think he was probably one of the only people that was really asking those questions. So, you know, we'd done various projects up until that point. No one had really asked the question. We hadn't thought too much about it ourselves. So from there, we started to, to discover more about sources of product, understanding the log disposal permit, understanding uh, where these products were from, and how we could provide some comfort, if you like, this was before certification in this part of the world, but how we could provide some comfort to the developer that they were at least, you know, doing the best that they could. So that's where it started from. Then we created a, an approach, which was called CertiSource. And then from CertiSource, we started to look at different technologies. And then, you know, we, we started working with genetics, a DNA, um, and then we, we then founded Double Helix. Um, and and that's, where, that's where the company started. So, so Double Helix, first and foremost, it is a audit and verification business that is focused primarily on forest product. So all derivatives of forest. Primarily, uh, this would be timber and right the way through the, the timber industry. So from people importing, importers that are importing products for DIY stores or recreational vehicle businesses in the US, or whether it's a guitar company or whether it's a builder like ourselves. So they provide this service to, to ensure transparency in supply chain. So that goes back to uh, looking at the, the where companies are sourcing their products, uh, looking at risk management, and creating risk profiles for where different products come from and recommending how to onboard new vendors uh, where, who, are, who are buying products or sourcing products uh, from reliable and preferably uh, full certified uh, sources. They then through that process essentially provide a, a very important service for the C-suite, which is managing risk, particularly a reputational risk, because now uh, you know, there is compliance with the European, uh, what they call the uh, European Trade Regulation, EUTR, uh, and in the US there's the Lacey Act, and there's other countries that have other legislation that actually prevent uh, importing timber that is not from um, declared uh, legal sources. So, you know, there's a lot of risk there, not just in reputation, but there's also risk in compliance and risk uh, you know, in being prosecuted. So they provide that service. The other important service that they provide is, again, with the narrative behind the woods. So they, they have a number of different uh, approaches there. One of them is called SourceMap. It is a platform uh, that essentially uh, will provide the customer a full narrative of where all these products come from and present it uh, in a map form. So obviously, the, uh, uh, the, the technology part is important. The onboarding of vendors and the risk management part is, is, is very important. And of course, how to wrap up the narrative, because at the end of the day, um, you know, diligent importers and people who want to do the right thing, there's a cost to that. Uh, and the only way they can recover that is to pass it on to the customer. And the only way the customer is going to really pay for it is if it's really bona fide.
Right. And obviously, you use technologies such as genetics, which you already talked about. I mean, I've been looking at the website and it uses, you know, DNA fingerprinting, isotopes, and so on. It would be nice if you could demystify some of these terms for our audience. Okay. Well, first and foremost, uh, a robust audit process uh, is, of course, is, is critical. So in the case of Double Helix, Double Helix is... Uh, a PEFC auditor. In fact, they're the first PEFC auditor, I think, in this region. Uh, and they have been, uh, they are audited themselves by the Singapore Accreditation Council. So that's the first thing, okay? As far as the scientific tools, and I, I refer to them as tools of concern, think of it as the bag of tricks, you know? science and scientific methods are typically irrefutable, right? So we don't have to give so many opinions. In our opinion, it was this and probability that. With scientific measures, you can be certain. Uh, and if you think about these tools, okay, as, as something that the auditor has in his, in his toolkit uh, in order to resolve questions, uh, now, these, these tools or, or, or scientific methods have different purposes. First and foremost, one of the, the key technologies we're working with now is blockchain. Okay, Blockchain is something that is, is understood and accepted as a secure methodology. Uh, it has its limitations, but when you start pairing blockchain with different types of scientific technologies, like, for instance, genetics, genetics... Um, so a lot of people wouldn't realize that actually a tree has 60 times the amount of DNA that us humans have. I, I suppose they've been around 60 times longer than us, so that probably makes sense. But there is the ability with genetics to, to get the resolution down to the individual. Okay. Um, when we look at other technologies like isotopes, isotopes is more about getting the resolution down to a region. And then there's wood anatomy. Okay, and wood anatomy, when we look at wood fiber uh, under a microscope, uh, can start telling us different uh, species. Okay, so why are these important? Well, sometimes we just need to resolve a question, which is country of origin, because a lot of the legislation around timber is about misdeclaring the country of origin, As particularly if that country of origin uh, is on a banned list or a CITES list. So if we just need to resolve country of origin, we can use genetics, but maybe, you know, that's like bringing a, a shotgun to a, a pea shooter fight. So maybe isotopes is, a, is, a, is sufficient. We can find the region. Uh, and from, from finding the region, we can ask, answer a question whether this is a, being a misdeclaration of country, which in that particular question is, is sufficient. It might be genetics is, is something that's important for, for tying individuals with individual materials from individual locations. Recently, there was news, I think last week, uh, about uh, an individual who was, who was found guilty of illegal logging, uh, I think it was Big Leaf Maple, um, for the guitar industry uh, in the US. That, work came from genetics and you know double helix was involved in some of the early precursor work with the the u.s forestry service so so that you know that answered a very a very specific question uh, about an individual and an individual tree from an individual location which you know isotopes 
wouldn't have the resolution uh, to do that. So that's where genetics has a play. And of course, you know, as we build more reference data, genetic reference data, if you think about how, you know, these genetic profiling sites have kind of exploded after the last five years, and now you can take a swab and they can tell you, you know, where, where your heritage is from and all sorts of things. That's the same thing that, that really uh, is, I think, beginning and will happen with the forests. You know, there'll be reference data built so that if we can do the equivalent of a swab uh, for a tree, uh, we can then put it into, uh, into an, an analysis and straight away tell you where it came from. So that's the power behind genetics. It's still very early days, um, but that's the power behind it. Whereas, you know, wood anatomy, which has been around for, for decades, it's still useful because sometimes if someone misdeclares the species, then we can use wood anatomy, which is relatively inexpensive and fast, to resolve that question about where, you know, whether this is this species or that species. So think of technologies as a toolkit to answer a specific uh, question. I, I hope that helps. Well, think of technologies as toolkits to answer specific questions. I don't think there can be better advice on uh, how to look at technologies than that sentence. You know, you've already talked a little bit about uh, the types of people Double Helix uh, works for. You know, everybody who uses wood from building materials to guitar companies. But maybe this is a time to talk a little bit about the customers and partners of Double Helix. Yes, yes. I mean, Venture is, a, I would say, a very small customer of Double Helix. Uh, of course, Venture is a PEFC uh, builder. So we are a chain of custody builder. In fact, we are the first PEFC chain of custody holder, I think, in, in this part of the world. That enables our customers uh, to then use the PEFC brand because there's proof, independent audit proof, that these products were PFC registered. And there's a process that we have to go through, which, which means the auditor, Double Helix, who we engage uh, to, to do this, has to go through and look at everything we do. We only allow to buy wood, even if it's not PFC, it must have uh, minimum legal um, credentials. We have, they look at our labor laws, they look at our processes for non-compliance. So it's a very holistic process, this, this PFC project certification chain of custody. So that's the service that they provide for us, which is a very small segment of what they do. The main service that they provide is more on a, on a big importer level, looking at country sources. In fact, worked with PFC to set up the first scheme in Myanmar for teak. Uh, you know, and Myanmar's at risk because there's border, borderline countries uh, where you know, teak can be smuggled, and there's other issues around teak. Although I believe the Myanmar uh, timber enterprise has, has done a, a good job in the past of managing their forests, again, there's been no third-party credentials and, and people need that. So I think that's a very important part of, of, of what uh, Double Helix does. And then, of course, from the importer's side, critical, because they can't import these products unless they have uh, third-party audit of origin you know so that's a key service so you know those people in the c-suite know what they're getting so very large importers and that trickles through down to 
to resellers and, and branded resellers. So Double Helix gets involved across really the whole supply chain from forests themselves, working with forests to help them get up to speed with certification, getting them into PFC certification uh, schemes, which is what they're doing right now uh, with uh, resource owners and forests in Indonesia, uh, right the way through to working with mills uh, and exporters, and then working with the importers, and then helping the importers uh, also um, with their claims with the resellers and making sure that the customer that comes in and buys that product or uses that product or goes into that product, in the case of a resort, has full transparency. That's what they do, really. It's, a, it's an end-to-end service. And I think it's never been more relevant because if we think now, of course, this big summit that everyone's been talking about, there's been declarations made. Hopefully this time they'll follow through with them. But, you know, within this decade, there's, a, there's an ambition to eradicate illegal logging. And in, in my view, the first thing you need to do is to clean up and have a better spotlight on what is going on. So you need these tools and you need companies like Double Helix, whose business model is really about providing transparency uh, to see what's going on in order to, to then start to fix it. And whoever's fixing things should obviously get, you know, there should be some benefit. And who's causing the problem, there should ob- obviously, that's where the sticks come out. So, so in a nutshell, that's, that's what Double Helix and companies like Double Helix do. Yes, actually, uh, that's a good point that you bring up. The deforestation pact within the COP26 uh, should actually provide far more bigger market and a much greater acceptance of the services like of companies like Double Helix. But to get back to you know what we started off with and to kind of sum up, if I were a resort owner and I were working with both Venture Timberwork and Double Helix. You know, what sort of verifiable claims would I be able to make to my customers and my investors? Yeah, of, of course, that's that's $60 million question, if you like. But it's, I think right now, what, what we're actively doing uh, is to try to get these resort owners to, and these developers, to understand more. And, you know, I'm pleased to say that I've never seen interest levels so high. So this isn't just about, in the old days, it was about, oh, give me, an, and this one must be from FSC because the guy's asking for FSC or this is PFC, but we must have this certificate or lead this or lead that. I, I think right now what we're seeing is a genuine interest about what goes on, where these products are from, what the impact is of these products. So I think to start with, I think you know, it, it's it's about getting everybody into the state into this stakeholder process. So, you know, it's not siloed anymore. There's the forest and it's siloed there. And then there's the certification guy and that gets siloed. And then there's the builder and that's siloed. And then there's the developer. So it's about bringing all of that together in order to create value. You know, and as I just mentioned with Double Helix, Double Helix is not doing this alone. Double Helix is really uh, improving its proposition by partnering. So, you know, there's companies like Eleven Foundry that are pioneering uh, cutting edge blockchain uh, solutions. Uh, And there's other various partners that Double Helix has partnered with in order to create more to the offering, to offer more of an end-to-end solution. 
So when we look at the developer, the developer then gets involved in that process because, you know, if we take example of the recent project that we've, that we've done, I think this is case in point um, for Pontiac Land, the Singapore developer for the Fari Islands project, the owner from a very early stage got very involved in the sustainability aspect. In fact, there's many other facets to the sustainability offering uh, of, of their, their project. So they're very involved in that. And because of that, they then engaged not just with us, but they're also engaging with, with, uh, with, with Double Helix. So they're also engaging with our auditor. And the sustainability, um, the, the tools that are being developed in terms of you know, visual tools, a source map, very important to the developer because you know, in the past, they'd have a certificate. It was in a, in a filing cabinet somewhere. Someone asked for it, they get it out. Now, it's something they can really talk about. There's an interface, you know, you can go into a villa, take a QR code, zooms into the source map, and you can start getting stories about where these products come from. Uh, you can get an interview with the designer. Uh, you can get information on, on carbon uh, offset and carbon, ca carbon calculations and so on. So I think, you know, that whole sort of developer becoming part of that value chain stakeholder is, is adding a, a lot to the, to the proposition. So, you know, by making these really strong verifiable claims, that's adding value. It's adding value to the brand. And we look at other developments now. So I think Pontiac Land, the Ferry Islands really pushed the boat out. They even took the, the source map interface and they're starting to populate it with other products and commodities and using that as the key visualization, if you like, OS uh, for the property so the public can really understand. So I think once you get the public on your side, once they understand that they're getting really bona fide information, then I think they start to understand that there's a premium that's worth paying for it. So I think that that is the, the real value proposition, I think, to these resort and property um, developers. Right. So as you were talking, I was thinking that maybe the next time I travel, you know, I could be in an exotic resort, could in my room, you know, understand where the wood came from, uh, sort of get a visualization of the project, uh, maybe even uh, sort of uh, buy some carbon credits of the project, you know, some red plus carbon credits, and so on and so forth. So I really become an engaged customer. You know, I, I really like the phrase that you used, getting the public on your side. With that, thank you very much, Kevin. But is there something else that you want to say for our audience today? Yeah, I mean, I'd just like to, to wrap up that at the end of the day, when we're talking about mass timber, it's not, it doesn't do everything, you know? And as I mentioned, in, when we started, it does some things very well. You, you're not going to build HDBs in Singapore anytime soon out of wood. But building a beautiful clubhouse that's the entrance to a project or building a beautiful resort or, or something else, you know, I mean, I, we are now committed to finding regional solutions. So I think this is a good place to finish. We're looking for regional produced mass timber solutions. This, the partners that we work with in Austria and Finland are brilliant. There's a price that you have to pay for these products. And a lot of countries, it just doesn't add up. Some of the developing markets, we're now engaged with a company that's looking to roll out diagnostic clinics across Nepal and then potentially in India. And you know they're very keen on this technology, but it wouldn't make sense to put 
wood from Austria in Bhutan or in Nepal or somewhere like that. So we are now through our office in uh, in Chennai. We're now creating a system that is using regionally produced engineered products, not the sophistication that's coming out of these computerized factories in Europe, but don't necessarily need that much sophistication because at the end of the day, we have people that need work and need jobs. So we can use less sophisticated, regionally produced, bona fide legal, preferably certified sustainable products, off-site manufacture them into large format panels, giving local communities work, important work to do, creating good quality products. You know, just because the products are, say, sourced from India doesn't mean to say there needs to be any stigma about quality, good quality solutions, and then delivering those into, into a whole different tier of projects. So healthcare into medium hospitality, in residential into other markets. If you think about mass timber's role in the built environment, there's only so much it can do in its current iteration. It needs to get much bigger. We need new technologies. There's technologies coming from companies like Lignor that are using plantation uh, fiber, which is produced all over the world, adding it to LDPE resins in proprietary ways and creating, you know, super products, which I think could build, uh, have a massive influence on the environment. So my hope is that within the next 10 years, we'll start seeing significant buildings and projects built with you know, low carbon technologies or carbon sequestering, sequestering building technologies like timber using regionally produced resources, which have a much higher a stakeholder from, from regional players. And that's where I'd, I'd like to end with my fingers crossed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank <laughs> you.